Analytics 2.6. Meng Ubo asked about Xiao, filiality. The master replied, give your parents nothing to worry about beyond health. A couple of background notes here. Meng Ubo is the son of Meng Yizhi, uh, the person who's asking Confucius the question in 2.5, our previous analect. And the grammar of the original uh, Chinese is a bit ambiguous, so you can actually translate this to mean uh, when it comes to your parents, worry only that they may fall ill. So the original grammar is not exactly clear, and you can interpret it in these two ways. Now, the first way to interpret this, it's almost self-explanatory. And so the advice that is given to this um, family member of the, of the Hmong family is really quite elementary. Uh, behave in a manner that is responsible and therefore you don't make your parents worry. Uh, whether this means taking care of your own health, don't get into fights, be financially sensible. Uh, if you are in the world of politics, do what is morally right and don't endanger yourself out of the pursuit of your ambition. And certainly do not do something morally wrong as to bring upon embarrassment upon your family and don't do something that is shameful regarding either yourself or your family at large because how you are and how you do not only reflects upon your parents but also because your parents identify so closely with you and your happiness and your virtue do not be a kind of the kind of person to do something morally shameful now you could also look at this the other way where you are worrying about your parents health and i think this is a pretty interesting topic for today in terms of its application to the modern world. It actually used to be a lot easier to take care of your parents in their age of infirmity hundreds of years ago because the whole social and economic situation of the family was very different. There's a book that I've referenced elsewhere called Family and Civilization that talks about there being three major types or categories of families throughout human civilization. And the way that these families function and the size of these families uh, and the power it holds within the family as opposed to the larger state 
is very different among these three categories. And today we live in what's called the atomistic family. It's a very small family. It's like the atom, the smallest you could break down any particular element without losing its identity. So in other words, this is the smallest kind of family you can get without, while still being able to call it a family. So what does this mean? Uh, a parent and a child, that would be the basic level of a family relation or a husband and wife. That would be basic, the very smallest, smallest grouping that you can have and still be called a family. Now, during the time of Confucius and during the cultures of virtually all Confucian dynasties, in other words, countries that are influenced or based in Confucian moral philosophy and political philosophy, you have the almost the complete opposite in the form of the clan family, or perhaps the domestic family, which is, um, to put it uh, succinctly, in between the atomistic family and the clan family. So if I just want to be concise about this, uh, you can just think about the domestic family as the middle in between the very tiny atomistic family and the very large clan family. And so this depends on, of course, the dynasty and not all families are of this type in any given civilization. That's why today uh, we have the atomistic family dominating in terms of its commonality, but you still have here and there a domestic family. Now back then, the clan family and the domestic family are more dominant forms in terms of number. And what they have in common is that the parents will have many children, many children, and they live uh, closer together. So in a typical domestic family, you would have maybe multiple generations living in as one integrated household, which is not to say necessarily you're in this single family home, but this might mean something along the lines of you're still living in the same village, you're basically neighbors, uh, and that would be a more domestic household situation. A clan would have perhaps its own estate so the entire village is the extended family with land that they cultivate together or is, is simply an estate with many, many acres to its name. And of course, um, if you are more of the aristocratic type, you might even have uh, servants or uh, something along those lines. Um, and, and, and speaking not specifically necessarily just for only for the Confucian situation, but um, situations in civilizations throughout world history. So why is this important for understanding this analect? It's important because back in those days, it was not too hard to actually keep um, taking care of your aged parents. Why? Because you would actually live very close 
to your brothers and sisters. They wouldn't really leave beyond walking distance. And so simply feeding your parents, uh, we'll talk about that in the next analog, but simply feeding your parents would not be at all difficult because it's not like you had to get into a car and drive over there or live in this very tiny house uh, with your parents. That's more of a modern situation. So you would simply just go next door or maybe you would all eat in the large dining hall of the mansion. And mansions back then did not mean, again, one large, large building. Uh, a mansion uh, was something that could refer to a series of smaller housing units that are actually physically separate. So it's not like you would have to hear uh, the other members of your family get up in the middle of the night and, you know, uh, rummage around. That's not the kind of case. There was actually, it was almost like you had your own um, loft size uh, area and then that would be, you know, a number of yards away from the next housing area. So you might live a number of yards away from your parents or your siblings, uh, but you weren't running into each other all the time within that housing unit. And so you could preserve a fair amount of autonomy or privacy. And so that was a more sensible and sane living situation because if you try to live in this modern housing which is actually relatively cramped even for lar fairly large houses uh, for today relative today those houses are relatively pretty small compared to those of the past um, at least in terms of spacing so even though you might live in a um, something like a, a uh, a hut or a tent, it was still physically separated from the other huts or tents or small houses uh, or rooms that that existed. And so there was still distance, there was still enough separation to make life livable. And that's very different from today's housing where you really can hear uh, people from one bedroom to the other. It's very easy to hear people and so forth. And of course, we've got technology that can allow for louder things. Uh, for example, you know, you could play, you could have these speakers and you could play movies and music and, and video games on your television. And that also, of course, uh, creates more noise within these houses. So, it was it was simply easy back then to just um, with your adult siblings go ahead and just make all the food eat together as a extended family uh, share the food eat at maybe even at the same table in the same room in the same dining hall depending on your particular situation and so your parents would simply just uh, simply merely be one or uh, just to be another set of guests at this table that you're all sharing food at. Or uh, if there's no one large dining table, then you would just go ahead and uh, bring the food over to them.
It was also the case that in many villages, and again, your village would comprise of your extended family members, that the women would prepare food, but they wouldn't prepare the entire meal. This is also some uh, invention of the modern era, where one homemaker would basically put together a several course meal, or if it's not split up in several courses, you'd have uh, a main dish and several side dishes. That's quite a bit of work to do for every meal. Many villages back in the day, what they did was a household would make maybe one or two special interesting side dishes and they would make enough for the neighbors, for the, for the small village, and everybody understood their role. So maybe one village might be making um, a certain kind of side dish and another one might, might make, I don't know, the old, the ancient version of potato salad or something. And then you would just make enough to share with other people in your village. And so you would have actually a diversity of meals uh, or a, a diversity of dishes for every meal. And so the amount of time that women spent cooking um, is probably actually uh, a lot more today than it was back then. On the other hand, um, it is nice to have certain appliances such as washing machines that does save uh, some time. Um, so I don't know about the total amount of time, I couldn't say for, for sure, but in terms of cooking meals and having a diversity of dishes, there was probably uh, a bit of a better situation regarding time, at least back in the uh, old village way of life. So taking care of one's parents, uh, taking care of feeding them and making sure that, you know, checking up on them, that this was a much easier thing back then to do. Uh, in fact, just recently, I talked to my father and uh, he was explaining to me that the people across the street, there was this old woman living alone and uh, she had brought her uh, trash container to the curb, but almost a week had passed and they weren't bringing back. And, and on, um, on, on the Friday, um, several days, maybe five days after those bins had been brought to the curb, her daughter shows up and starts saying, mom, mom, can you hear me? Are you okay? Are you okay? Really loudly because she didn't have a key. So it took several days for the, for one of the, her children to show up. And then, uh, you know, out comes the body back uh, later on that day. So these things, um, can happen. The other alternative, of course, is to put the uh, parent in a home. And uh, of course, that I mean, uh, by that I mean, you know, something along the lines of a nursery home or, you know, it's, it's basically one of those um, places where they have ready access to medical treatment, but they're also fed and they get checked up on. And uh, 
I don't know about your experience with these, but I have volunteered at some of these, and they're not really happy places to be in. A lot of these elderly folk are very lonely. Uh, they're isolated. I have heard stories of certain ones being a blast, but uh, my guess is that those are just um, inventions of television shows. That's certainly not in my realm of experience. I'm not saying that they aren't out there in existence, but um, I haven't personally seen any of those. And in any case, of course, people want to be with their family. They want to be with their children and their grandchildren. Uh, they don't want to be just cooped up among other old people um, and get into, I don't know, certain bickering that might uh, arise when you've got a bunch of old people who don't have jobs and um, can't get out much. Uh, it kind of lends itself to a certain dynamic based off of things like gossip and bickering. Uh, but going back to the to the point I'm making, people would rather spend time with their family. And that was something that could be more naturally done back in ancient times because you didn't need cars and gasoline to get from one place to another. Houses were not super expensive and people did not move around too far in order to get a simple job. So people were able to live in mostly the same place that they used to and you can easily just go a couple doors down and check up on your parents. It was not a big problem. And this is something that we should really think about more seriously is how our economic structure today, how we design cities, how we find jobs, how much migration we allow all of this feeds into a reality where families are not very big families are breaking apart and we're all the more unhappy because of it i don't believe it makes much sense for us to live the way we do with regards to the family and if you think about it, think about what happens when you are born. You're with your parents for, I, I suppose, four to five years before you go to preschool or kindergarten. And nowadays, because most families are double income by necessity, not by choice, not because the, uh, the wife really enjoys her career, uh, but rather because you need to make that much money in order to have a house in a safe neighborhood that you feel comfortable and and relaxed raising your children within because we have this double income situation who's really at home watching the children so we have all these claims you know we, ha we have all this demand um, for preschooling and babysitting or simply these children are dropped off at grandma's or grandpa's to be watched over because they're not working 
again, probably not because uh, they can't use the money, but because they have reached retirement age and nobody's going to hire them anyway. So the first problem here is that it's, it takes too much money to simply have a house in a fine neighborhood. And that itself relates to other problems. Why are these neighborhoods so untrustworthy to begin with? Why do we have so much crime? Why do we have so much, so many bad influences? Why are there so many bad neighbors? This is not only an economic problem, it's also a cultural problem. And this is where we find that we need Confucianism the most because Confucianism incorporates cultural reformation into governing leadership. So that's, in a, that's a very important thing to understand why we need to study Confucian philosophy, why it is critical. It's not just some esoteric interest uh, into the past. That's not the reason why we study Confucianism. It's because it is very viable today and it is critical to learn if you want to be happy today. So we already have this problem. The parents are working and then we get to kindergarten. Now we have 13 years of schooling, at least, at least. So the child goes to school, dropped off, maybe it starts around eight o'clock, then it ends two to three o'clock. Kid comes home, he's got homework, he hasn't seen his parents, and he won't see them probably till five o'clock or six o'clock or seven o'clock. Then you've got a couple hours before you go to sleep. Then there's a weekends. Weekends, we would think, is a good time to spend time with your children. But the parents are tired and or the children have extracurricular activities they need to go to. Maybe it's Little League. Maybe they're learning how to do programming at the age of eight. I don't know, the parents are kind of crazy these, these days. So they've got their activity. Then you've got the summer. The summer, while well, we tend to, have, uh, parents tend to send their children to, to some kind of summer camp or summer program, and who knows when they'll get back from then. But in any case, the parents don't have summer break, so they're still getting home at five, six, or seven. And then they're spending, a, what, two hours with their children before they go to bed? And that is on top of having to do chores or homework or whatever it is. So you're really not spending time with your family. Then the child goes off to college. Well, then now he's just gone. The, the, the child is simply gone. Your child is simply gone. And you were not able to spend much time with your child before he became a quote unquote adult. And who knows who, what kind of adult he or she has become because you never really spend time with your with your child to begin with. You only saw your child from time to time. So this, it, this is not looking too good. And then the child, now that the child's in college and then they get their own career, they have this time spent at their own workplace. And so even when they are an adult with financial responsibilities, you still don't get to spend time with your children. It's no wonder that there's so much 
tension and conflict between parents and children because they're essentially strangers to each other all because of our economics because we're asked to work too long it it's also very frustrating that we have such an unemployment unemployment problem because this means that in a sense there are too many workers well for the people who work they're spending too much time at work they're spending too many hours during the week working but at the same time we have a whole bunch of people that are not employed at all they're not doing anything it seems like this is a problem that could be solved by balancing out some extremes. So policies that would encourage fewer hours worked per week would also encourage more employment and would mean for happier families. And this is what tells you that your political system has failed because such an obvious solution is not being discussed, is certainly not being implemented by the people who run for office. So I want you to, I want that to sink in a little bit. Now, we haven't even gotten to other matters. For example, we don't want to have cities that are structured to take too much time to get from one area to the other. We don't want really large states and we don't want necessarily a lot of migration. In other words, you, if you are born in, say, Santa Barbara, California, you shouldn't have to go all the way up to Seattle, Washington in order to get a job. Now, this involves more complicated policy ideas. How do we prevent people from having to move too far for a job? Because this splits apart families. And related to that are questions such as, well, how do we make it so that people don't not, do not have to become double income in order to live safely and happily? How do we do these things? Well, this is a discussion. I do have a lecture series on REN and e-governing. In other words, humane and righteous governing. So you can go into that for more ideas. But as for this analect here, 2.6, and when it comes to your parents, make sure that the only thing that they have to worry about you is your health. And as a child, be the kind of person to live a life where, in which the only thing that, um, well, I, I should put it this way, as a, um, do worry about your parents' health because as they get older, this is something that um, they naturally lose out on their health. Uh, 
one more way to look at this is simply your parents, for all the issues that you have between yourself and your parents, and there's going to be tons of issues, how you were raised, mistakes that they made, um, misunderstandings between you two, disappointments, simply bad personality, uh, um, simply bad aspects of your personality. Uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of sorts of things that can come up between a parent and child. But if you simply remind yourself, look, you only have one father, you only have one mother, and there's only so much time you have left with them, especially in our very busy modern lifestyle. You know, as if it's our own choice. I shouldn't say lifestyle. Our very busy modern lives, made busy by our broken economic and social cultural realities. Just remind yourself, if you are, say, 30 years old and your parents are 50, or say that you're 40 years old and your parents are 60, you don't have that much time left with them. And one day they'll be gone, and you'll never be able to say anything to them again. You won't be able to see them smile, you won't be able to see them laugh, or even be disappointed or, or, or yell at you. And you might even end up missing those typically negative interactions because they're just gone. They're simply gone. They're not coming back in your lifetime. And they can't see what you've done. One of, uh, I'll mention one thing here. Um, I study early, the early years of the Joseon dynasty uh, because I am putting together a story about Zheng Dozhen, who is one of the, uh, who is essentially the scholar who puts together the Joseon dynasty. So the founding king is Tejo. And I'm not trying to detract from what he's done in order to establish the dynasty. But the situation was that of a general and as famous and as skilled as he he was as a general he still needs the support of the scholars and the scholar officials of Korea in order to establish the Joseon dynasty especially because the Joseon dynasty is a rectification of the country, which has fallen apart culturally and morally by this point in history. And I'm, I'm reading into the annals of uh, what's called the Shulok um, of King Tejo. And one part stands out to me. Tejo is having a, a dinner with a number of the scholar officials who helped him found the dynasty. And there's two, um, Nam Un and Nam Je, and they, um, their father is there, and, his fa and their father gets up. He, he's not involved in the founding of the dynasty. His two sons are. And his father gets up. He's an old man. He starts dancing around and singing a bit. And 
King Tenjo looks at that and says, and he sighs and says, even though I have the highest rank in the whole country, uh, I still can't experience my own father looking at me and being proud of this moment, at this moment. And that's a very, uh, there's a very meaningful and moving statement that even though he's king, he's accomplished this very great achievement that happens only a few times in the nation's history. He's accomplished this great thing. He still thinks back to his father who has passed and wishes that he could be there to be proud of him. And so even though you've had all this difficulty with your parents, simply remember that they're not going to be around forever. And in fact, the, the end of their lives is coming far sooner than you can imagine. And if you keep this in, in perspective, I think that Xiao, filiality, filial behavior, filial reverence, this will come very naturally, much more naturally to you than if you forgot about the fact that one day your parents will be gone.